0: It's as if Dune and Beetlejuice got married and had a baby at Christmas time. We're talking Danny Elfman scored a Scrooged, hit it It was 1988. Michael Jackson's autobiography was edited by Jackie Onassis. The Land Before Time hit theaters and Danny Elfman scored a Richard Donner Christmas classic. I'm your host Jerry D with another episode of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, we got it covered. And joining me is a very special guest from the Even the Score podcast. It's Don Ames. Don, how's it going?
1: It's going well. Great to talk with you.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for coming on, man. How are you doing? How's your Christmas going so far?
1: So far, so good. Haven't been visited by any spirits. Nobody's hitting <laughs> me with any toasters recently. So I think that all, all's good so far this holiday season. That's, that sounds
0: like a win right there. I'd say so. Yeah, definitely. Um, before we get started, because uh, I, I listen to your show, I love the video game episode. I, I love the horror movie episode. Um uh, and you guys have done a few you know video game uh, episodes but like the master classes and things like that um which mm-hmm. w- which one was uh, your favorite again remind me
1: oh i was definitely the video game episode. okay that, that's i was what doing I thought. the final I, fantasy series
0: I, that's what i thought i just i i didn't want to presume for sure the music is still like, it's just rad. It's, it's just dope, man. Um So it's great stellar. choice there. Yeah.
1: Oh no, it was an easy pick. I mean, when we were talking about the masterclass series, we were thinking just speak to something that really, really kind of connects with you. And final mm-hmm. fantasy has been one of those things that's just been so long. So it was an easy selection.
0: Nice. I uh, I'm actually more in line with the Mega Man 2 soundtrack. That oh, one. so good! <laughs> that one is excellent. There's a a cool uh, breakdown of it on on YouTube. It's like how to how to write in the style of Mega Man 2, and it's really interesting. Lots of one uh, one minors and flat seven majors all over the place. So, you know. It's
1: so good. Yeah, that was Anthony's <laughs> pick for for our video game episode. He's a huge Mega Man 2 soundtrack fan. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry he's not here and that I just have to take his place.
0: No, that's <laughs> that's quite all right. <laughs> oh, man. Um so before we really get into the music, like what's your like what do you remember about Scrooge the movie and uh and Danny Elfman in uh, particular?
1: Um I would say Scrooge came uh, to me late in life. My wife was a big fan of Scrooge and I hadn't seen it before we started really kind of going out and getting into the holiday spirit together, like starting to starting to share holidays. So uh, she was a huge fan. I mean, it's got an all-star cast when you've got Bill Murray and Karen Allen, you've got um, Carol Kane doing her thing. I mean, fantastic stuff with. Um, Princess Bride from her and now going all the way up to Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt I mean you you can't go wrong with her and Bill Murray in the scene agreed and then for me I mean Richard Donner is a, a name for my childhood going back to Goonies I mean that man is legend in my right. eyes because the Goonies is one of my favorite childhood movies bring in all sorts of greatness with Danny Elfman's score going to Batman and Edward Scissorhands, everything Tim Burton. I mean, it, it's right. a an amazing combination that I'm surprised I didn't get to earlier in life, really.
0: Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I remember uh, it came out and we weren't allowed to watch it yet. My my dad and mom wanted to go see it first, of course, you know. So um, so they they checked it out, and then the very next year because mm-hmm. it came out in '88, so in '89. It, I'm like I don't remember a Christmas without it. Um, since '89, it's just it's one of our family's favorites, and it's kind of funny because Bill Murray doesn't really like it. You know, he's uh he's famously really? said yeah he's famously said that like it uh, it wasn't the script that he read, like the final cut. Um, apparently he thought the script was amazing, and that's why he eventually agreed to do it uh, at the mm-hmm. um, kind of pushing of his wife first. But that Richard Donner didn't really know comedy. And so a lot of things were rewritten and kind of cut and changed. And so he he kind of doesn't really like it. But I think like his speech at the end has got to be like one of the greatest Christmas speeches of all time, right? I mean, he just he goes off. Oh, on, like, it's legendary. Exactly. Like how good we need to be at Christmas and how it makes us feel and things like that. And at the very end of it, we, we get Danny Elfman scored kind of um, just propping up the emotion uh, as soon as he's done with his big old manic rant, you know, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you same thing with you. Danny Elfman is one of my favorites really since Peewee's big adventure. I think he's been one of my favorites. Uh, yes. and I was never huge into Oingo Boingo until I'd <laughs> say maybe about five years ago. And then I kind of really got into him which is strange Is anybody
1: really huge into oingo boingo
0: (laughs) i i actually do have a cousin that is pretty huge into (laughs) oingo boingo uh but but no that's like the only person i know so i i i think uh no is the answer but fair uh, yeah but you know it's one of those that uh i i enjoyed several of their songs i liked them big top people um but it wasn't until batman you know, 89's Batman that I really started becoming a Danny Elfman fan. And, and I liked him, mm-hmm. in, uh, his Beetlejuice score as well, but something about uh, just those, that little motive, you know, motif that he, he created for Batman. And then he morphs into like a full blown theme is just, uh, I mean, it, it just blows me away every time. And I've kind of followed his career pretty closely ever since then.
1: It's, it's quite something what he does in his work with Tim Burton, the The way that he can take really quirky tunes when typically you're you're if you look towards like the john williams you just do your standard sort of all right let's pull from classical music mm-hmm. let's let's try to pull from everything from whole s- the planets and, yeah. and throw it into a star wars movie like <laughs> exactly what, what what elfman does is he he is unbelievably unique I mean, he is definitely kind of taking his his quirk to it, which pairs extremely well with Tim Burton, which is all quirk. <laughs> and he's able to really sort of run with it and throw in odd motifs like it, we're talking about a really bizarre Christmas movie, but it's a Christmas movie. It's still set right. around the holiday season, and he still brings in his macabre, his eerie, his creepy, mm-hmm. like with the sounds and with the the, the chords that he's bringing. I, it's amazing what he's able to do. And, you know, an Elfman score when you hear it, mm-hmm. like there's so few that are just so distinct that you hear a couple notes, you know, all right, I know that's I'm listening to Danny elfman, right? and that's that's something to to have such a career in hollywood and to to and I mean, I think composers are they have the ability to kind of prolong their career so long. They can work with a bunch of different people or they can just tie themselves down to one specific director or creator. and they have the ability to kind of change themselves a bunch and and to work and just keep on working and elfman is kind of one of those guys who's who's worked for a long time Mm -hmm. but you still kind of really pick up who he is in and he still kind of stays true to his brand which is weird and quirky and fun and i've always liked that about him and i mean if we go all the way up to something like Nightmare Before Christmas. Mm-hmm. I mean, another sort of holiday themed venture, but I I like the way that he did the score and, the, and the, the lyrics. And then to sing it himself is unbelievable. Right. And we actually just did an episode where Anthony, my co-host on my podcast, he talked about how that was a huge issue between Tim Burton and Danny Elfman. And it kind of caused a riff for them for a period of time. So it's interesting that such a gamble and such a kind of a a period of time that was hard between those two resulted in this amazing movie and soundtrack and uh, still like continues to this day. I think Elfman just did his Hollywood Bowl live Nightmare Before Christmas. So he's a fantastic composer, fantastic artist. And I just I respect what he does. And I've, I've always sort of tried to seek out his stuff wherever I could seek it out.
0: Uh, have you heard his uh, "Serenata Schizofrenia"?
1: I have not. No, uh,
0: it's really good. It's just an original composition. It's like I, I guess in in several movements, but it's it's a composition that's just you know for orchestra. So no no film attached to it, but it's actually it's phenomenal. It's got the that cool. same you know typical Elfmanisms. You know the minor mm-hmm. keys the. Uh, the the unusual instrumentation, some of the this rather strange techniques as well, like uh, sul ponticello and coleno and all those those violin and, and string techniques. Um, uh, it's just, it's just really cool. It's of course it's got that typical umpot style that uh, you know yep. characterizes a lot of his mu- his music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just yeah, I, I re- highly recommend it if, if you get a chance to. It's called the Serenata Schizofrana. Um, but you, you can you can actually hear. Uh, a few of those uh that that motifs and and styles uh those thematic styles and chord progressions that we um in this movie as well so you can see his progression going from here all the way to that which i believe he wrote just a few years later um this yeah this was like kind of a an weird in between for me because like you get the big full really just bombastic um and yet dark and moody score for batman um, mm-hmm. but then you have more of that, just a lot of more quirky uh, uh, music that you get from Beetlejuice. And so this one's kind of like a weird in between for me, because you get the standard things with like his, his women's choir or children's choir as well. Uh, you know, just the, la, 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 la's that you kind of hear there. Mm-hmm.
1: And, um,
0: but then you also get some of them, the weirder synthesizer effects that <laughs> we see uh, in, in some of that earlier uh, Beetlejuice uh, composition. So I, I, I really enjoy the score, even though it it's a little mishmashed, I suppose, would be the word I'm thinking of.
1: That's completely understandable. I'm trying to look up quickly where it it kind of fell in his in his oeuvre. Like, where did it fall between Batman and and something like uh, what did you say? Beetlejuice. That's what I was trying to look for. So I'm just trying to figure out where it kind of. So so Beetlejuice is 88. Right. Batman comes out 89. And then Scrooge is
0: Thanksgiving of 88. So it's like so, right in between.
1: So right in between. So you're kind of seeing a growth with what he's doing. Like definitely there's, you can hear Beetlejuice throughout this. There, There's yes. definitely that sort of more immediate tie to it. And I think I really like it. I love Beetlejuice. I love that score. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see kind of how it's, how it's growing, how he's getting bigger. Like, like you said, like there is definitely that that duality between some basic and creepy, but then you get into the bigger sweeping stuff and he's starting to build and build. And I'm, I'm sure it's just confidence growing and growing with his, with his, the work that he's doing and given the opportunity. I mean, I think he's, he's gaining more confidence because he's being given more chances. And of course, movies are coming out, much later than when they're created. So maybe he already knows what he has lined up with Batman coming up with Burton, maybe post Beetlejuice. He's like, yeah, I'm Tim's comes up to him and says, yeah, I'm working on this. I want you to do the score. So he's probably already thinking composition and creation for that iconic Batman theme. So maybe he's, he's got a bit of influence in that with working on Scrooged and maybe there's just some weird tie there that we don't quite know because we, we weren't. We're not in his head, and we don't know what that that sequence looks like for him.
0: Right, right. Well, and I know that he uh, he wasn't Richard Donner's first choice. In fact, he oh, wasn't okay. a, he wasn't on uh, Richard Donner's radar at all. It was his uh, his agent um, Richard Kraft that really sat down with Richard Donner and pushed Danny Elfman on him. He he played him some of his things from the Forbidden Zone. Uh, I know he played a little bit of the Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He mm-hmm. just different tracks, and he basically talked richard donner into hiring uh danny elfman which is you know nowadays it's like yeah who doesn't want danny elfman to score their you know their piece but back then he really had only worked on like a lot of you know mostly with tim burton and a lot of just smaller budget things he had never really done like a huge big budget motion picture until beetlejuice really that was like right you know uh, working with michael keaton that was kind of like a big thing back then but mm-hmm. yeah, he had to be persuaded to to hire Elfman and I, I'm really glad he did. But one thing that was very um, apparent right away was that he didn't want to do like a comedy style score. He wanted like some sort of grounded seriousness to, to his adaptation, I should say. And so right away he was a little hesitant. And so Danny Elfman kind of came up with that main theme first just to show him that he could actually do what he wanted and and kind of mm-hmm. keep it more grounded more eerie and sure enough uh, richard donner heard it and thought wow this is it and even though a lot of his cues didn't get used which is typical in uh you know in hollywood where you write music mm-hmm. for certain scenes and then it just doesn't quite work the um he really actually kind of thought wow this guy going to be something and he's on record saying that which is kind of cool because you don't really get to to be that guy you know right at the cusp of of greatness uh you don't get to be the guy that says wow this this one right over here is is gonna make it you don't get that very often so i i kind of think that's that's like something special when when that happens and so i i I mean i wish i could have been a part of it but you know i was only like eight years old so (laughs) it is what it is
1: (laughs) (laughs) well and and i mean to to get the call from from donner who i mean is coming off of just legendary stuff with the Omen and Superman and Goonies. I mean, it, it would be great lethal weapon of course, as well. I mean, it's, it's nice to, to be able to prove yourself in the eyes of, the establishment basically right. like this is a, an old hat at this. So it's nice to have somebody who's, who's confident in, in my abilities, even if I wasn't his first choice, I can prove it and I can make it. And maybe, maybe kind of in what we were talking about with this idea of him building, maybe this stemmed from this need to prove himself. Like he he kind of relied on what he was doing with Beetlejuice to maybe kind of make his metal. And maybe he wasn't interested in, in bumping up as much as I, I I, maybe kind of speculated there. Maybe he did have this idea with Batman in mind already with with his work with Burton. But maybe at this point with this sort of, well, we have Richard Donner who's interested, like he's looking for somebody, but he's not quite interested in you unless you can prove yourself, prove your metal. Mm-hmm. Maybe that really spurred him on to do something different to, to make sure that he wasn't just toying around with the fun and the odd and he he really sort of made it something special which i think he did i think you're absolutely right getting getting donner on board to pick him was absolutely the right choice
0: yeah, because Richard Donner actually wanted John Williams to score uh, <laughs> Scrooge, which... Well,
1: who doesn't? <laughs> I
0: mean, he would have been amazing, but y- y- you think about how different the movie would have been with uh, John Williams actually providing the music. Exactly. Like you mentioned earlier, I mean, it's, it's pretty much, you know, just, and I love John Williams, don't get me wrong, he's a phenomenal composer, mm-hmm. but, you know, a lot of it... It does kind of sound the same and, and I can't say, I mean, yes. I can say the same thing with Danny Elfman as well, but you know, they all have their particular styles, but especially up to this point, um, with the exception of Jaws, I mean, a lot of it was like the, the big march for the main theme, mm-hmm. you know, you get the Indiana Jones, you have the Star Wars style, just a lot of that, mm-hmm. uh, like you said, that uh, planets esque composition. And uh, there's a little bit, you know, a little bit of Copeland in there as well, and and just that kind of um, uh Americ. What was it? A neoclassical Americana, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I I can't imagine Scrooge with its really dark atmosphere. I, I have a hard time putting John Williams and his music in line with that. Not that he couldn't do it because he's done it many times before, but for some reason with this particular film, and maybe it's because it's Bill Murray, because it's so quirky, I don't know if that would have been as good a fit.
1: Oh, no, it absolutely, I I think you're right. It absolutely wouldn't be the right fit. I mean, if you think about the look and feel of Scrooge, it fits more with a Beetlejuice than it does with a Raiders or uh, a a Star Wars. And I know there's a a connection with Donner and and Raiders in some way. So I I get the want to kind of adhere to your buddies and and stick to to what you know. But I mean, it just, Scrooge Scrooge feels different. There is Mm -hmm. definitely this more oddball feel to it. I mean, you've got some really cool, interesting characters who are doing quirky things that are very sort of Keaton-esque. I'm thinking about the the taxi driver there who's doing some, <laughs> some crazy stuff. I mean, it, it feels very sort of Beetlejuice inspired. And, and I think for a movie that is trying to be so different and be so out there in the stereotypical sort of holiday Christmas theme, you need something else that stands out and it just doesn't work if you're trying to be different but you still have this really sort of classical based score Mm -hmm. from an industry standard that is that is john williams
0: you know we have like a mishmash like i talked about we have that weird it's almost like klezmer style music for uh elliot Loudermilk. you know bob Mm goldwaite's character there with a lot Mm -hmm. of just a clarinet bends that kind of thing you know and uh so so that's really cool but then you also have almost like a quasi jazz influenced uh score uh area when we get to the um to the flashbacks to the 60s you know with with the right the the ghost of christmas past especially when we come to frisbee the dog which uh, by the way elfman wrote that theme as well which (laughs) which i love but uh it's just it's one of those where we we have just so different styles and then we get to i was gonna say marion karen allen's theme excuse me uh we get to we get to her theme nice and and it's the same thing it's like just it's completely different it's like little synth uh Mm -hmm. celesta and synth piano playing this just nice uh just chordal melody and boom boom. soft Mm -hmm.
1: really sort of speaks to yep her character the relationships just something completely out there it yeah he he He's splitting kind of all sorts of uprights, left, right, and center. He's doing yeah. completely different things. And I, I really do like that idea I, as we were just talking about, like, this is the need to prove himself. And this is the need for him to kind of break out from, right. from his norm, which is doing oddball, small time stuff, getting his chance with Beetlejuice, but still kind of. It, Beetlejuice is very one-note. It's it's really weird. This, you have to blend all those different... You, we need a we need a, a score for romantic uh, intrigue. We need mm-hmm. a, a piece for quirkiness with the Ghost of Christmas Past. We have Bobcat Goldsway doing crazy stuff. Do something with that. <laughs> like, really connect yourself to all these different elements. And we want to see how much you can do. Like, this is bigger than something right. you've worked on before. Do it for us.
0: Right. And uh, by the way, quick shout-out to uh, David Johansson from the New York Dolls of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. as a, the cab driver so good also known so as uh, buster point dexter he had a, a little uh <laughs> career there under buster point dexter but All uh, right yeah so I just I wanted to shout him out real quick just because uh, another musician so and and his he had that real distinct kind of gravelly voice that um, mm-hmm. it, of course it makes the character just amazing but at the same time when he was with the dolls, I mean it just did kind of um, he you always knew who it was that was playing yeah. when, as soon as you heard him. Um, but let's dive into the music. So we've talked a little bit in general. I, I kind of really want to get into the main theme here okay. It's it's very simplistic, really. It it kind of just alternates uh, between a minor one and like a dominant five. That's like the the big thing. Um, what I find really interesting is that he emphasizes the, uh, the I guess it would be the seventh scale degree in a, a harmonic minor in the harmonic minor scale. But it would be the third of that dominant five chord, and so he he uses that a lot more. Sometimes not even playing the root, and so it gives it almost like a a diminished uh like a fully diminished seventh vibe to it. And so because of that, uh it's just it's uh there's a lot of tension in that in that main theme. So we have uh the it starts off with the the choir, the children's choir um mm-hmm. and, and women's choir together and, and they have that theme that I mentioned earlier that la 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 and which again we hear in a lot of other Elfman scores but that kind of sets the tone and it really just kind of hovers on um, what um arvopert would call like a tintinabulation abulation kind of thing and so it hovers around that fifth chord tone and uh, while that's happening the is playing just the root you know see in octaves uh, that c c c c and so uh, it really already sets the the tonal center of the piece of course underneath all this we have sleigh bells <laughs> of course It's not a Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, it's not a Christmas theme unless you have sleigh bells.
1: (laughs) You see, that's the that's the part of this whole conversation so far that I've been able to understand. I I was warned. I was pre warned by listening to your episode with the volcanics and how they were Mm. kind of like you're throwing out all these chords and progressions and we just we just play. So I knew I was going to have to prep myself to to. All right, what's a minor seven? What am What am I? What are the fifths? Like, what am I trying to figure out here? So (laughs) I'm I'm struggling. I'm keeping my head head above water. You said sleigh bells. I can. Jump in.
0: There you go. (laughs) Okay. So, you know, music is um, at least modern music and and tonal music, especially is, is pretty much divided into major and minor keys. Mm -hmm. And so we have our, our major scale, let's say a C major scale, which is, has no sharps, no flats. It's as if you played a C to a C on a piano and that would be your, your major scale. Mm -hmm. Okay. So just C D E F G A B C. And, and that's what you build your, your chords around your, your key around, a minor scale uh, would have uh, a different intervals between each note so whereas a major scale you'd have c d e so right away you have um you have a whole step between c and d you have another whole step between d and e and so between c and e that's called a major third so it's it's mm. four half steps two whole steps okay uh, a minor third would be one and a half steps and so that's what gives music in general its tonality of of major or minor it's it's basically that minor third so when we get to a minor scale and that would be like playing um if if you didn't want to think about with any sharps or flats that would be like playing from a to a on a a piano just you know a b c d e f g a Um, now a harmonic minor is where you take that seventh note so a b c d e f G and then you take it up a half step so that it wants to resolve upward to that a. So instead of G would be G sharp. And so when we get to, chords when we start making chords that g sharp really wants to resolve up to that a and so a lot of composers especially in um you know western art music of uh, the classical area but it's most especially the um, the uh the romantic era they'll definitely use that harmonic minor scale and so they'll instead of g they'll use the g sharp and so you're able to get what's called a dominant chord and so that's the fifth note so let's say we were in the key of a Okay, so A, B, C, D, E, that E, they build a chord uh, with starting on that E. So E, G sharp, because you you go in thirds, then B, and then from B, you'd go up to um, D. And so that gives that um, that dominant feel because you have a G sharp which wants to lead up to a and you have a D which wants to lead down to the C sharp of the, or excuse me, to the C of the a minor scale. And so we, that's the, the tritone, which is that classical, um, that, that, um, it's the interval that they used to call the devil's tone because it's very unstable and it's unstable because it wants to resolve. What, what I'm saying, uh, and I know I've used a lot of technical terms here, but essentially we have a minor chord that goes to a, a five chord that it's like a major chord with like a weird tritone in there that wants to bring it back down to that minor.
1: Can you repeat the stuff you said about the things? <laughs> no, no, that was great. This is why I love the podcast. I like how deep you go into it and how you really kind of understand the the structure of it. I really appreciate the the like I I mentioned the the volcanic stuff because I mean you think you get a chance to to speak with musicians and this really fun surf rock group and they kind of do their own spins on on like halloween and, and christmas tunes so you think right. like all right you've got you've got them in the room let's start really diving into musical theory and and you're like well uh, well above so i love the podcast for for that take and this is fantastic like this is really interesting for me to, to start learning these sorts of elements because we don't typically get into that on on even the score we typically just more talk about the emotional impact of it and the right. personal uh, nature of like the, our connections to the score so i like this duality that we can do here today so
0: well we're definitely going to be getting into that stuff too because- Sure. i like i like when you guys go into that as well uh you know you talk about your history and how it influenced you as a person you know mm-hmm. with your relationship to the music and so i do want to get into that as well i just kind of wanted to analyze the score a little bit first oh because, no of course no, danny elfman, do he does yeah. like he his orchestrations which um by the way his longtime orchestrator steve bartek uh, <laughs> the very first time he actually worked with uh with danny elfman he got his sketch score and he started doing what most professional orchestrators do. They start expanding the score, you know? So mm-hmm. instead of just having the one note here, the, just for impact, they might add, like, double it an octave lower right. in, in one of the strings. Well, Danny Elfman heard it, and he was like, no, that's not what I wrote. <laughs> and so Steve Bartek uh, learned that. Uh, he, whenever he gets a sketch score he wants it exactly like that in those registers don't double anything unless you're just adding like stick a little. stick with it exactly uh yeah. which is smart i think uh is but you know you, you do what you got to do I, I suppose to stay ahead in the game but yeah eh, so it's a living <laughs> exactly yeah so we go to, from a minor one chord to the dominant five But as I mentioned, he doesn't emphasize that fifth, you know, the root of that fifth chord, the G Mm -hmm. in this case, because we're in the key of C minor. He doesn't emphasize the G. He emphasizes that B, which is the third of the chord or the seventh of that um, C harmonic minor scale. And so because of that, it's very unstable. It wants to resolve back up to that, the C, you know, which is the the, the tonic of that scale. The one thing that I really like is his little, his theme here, which is basically Frank's theme. This is the theme that's going to be played throughout the rest of the score anytime in association right. with with uh bill murray's character here mm-hmm. and uh, i mentioned it earlier it sounds like dune i don't know if you remember the you know <laughs> toto <laughs> yes. score to david lynch's dune
1: that's a good that's a good call
0: <laughs> uh it's just you know bum, 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 bum. and you know of course Mm-mm. dune would repeat it mm. bum, 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 bum. And then they go mm-hmm. on to their their next thing. But he, uh, Danny Elfman, does something a little bit different. So he does bum bum, 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 bum bum And so he he just plays with it a little bit. Again, we have the sleigh bells, which I like. And then we have, uh, so the the Glockenspiel and celesta, which musically sound very, very similar, uh, or not musically, excuse me, tonally sound very similar. They're both Mm -hmm. high-pitched kind of vibratory instruments. One of them is just a keyboard and the other one is played with mallets and um both of them are used uh in in the nutcracker which of course he does quote later on when the he does the <laughs> when
1: we start to see carol king come out that's and right. that's one of my that's one of my favorite tracks on there where the, he does a a really fun play on um sugar plum fairies he does and and it's one of those that i'd love to analyze
0: his his what he does there i just i haven't written it out and i haven't found any um anyone that's that's written it out either so I would actually have to, I think, sit down and try to transcribe all the various parts. And I, I don't know if I have that kind of time, honestly. <laughs>
1: well, the holidays are coming up. You got some there you time, go. I'm sure. <laughs> well, it go.
0: it's true, although I do work at a Christmas store. So this is like my busy season. Now. Okay.
1: Well, then 11 months of the year, you've got plenty of time.
0: There we go. I like that. <laughs> Um, so both the, the Glock and the celesta are just emphasizing the, the root um, in octaves. And then we get the low brass. So it's like French horn and it is doubled mm-hmm. by trombones and tuba an octave lower playing that main theme. Of course, with various crescendos and decrescendos and swells in the volume and things like that. But I love as the theme is ending, all of a sudden we get like a descending scale. But the way he he starts it off it uh he does so in that it starts on like a b flat and it just kind of works its way down you know so the violins are just you know just going down the scale and Mm. as they get to that last note instead of instead of staying on that b flat they go to a b natural and then they modulate and so instead of being in in the key of c minor now we're up in the key of g minor and so now it's like a whole thing and it's a seamless modulation it's it's one that you you don't even really expect coming and a lot of that is just because what he does with those uh, with the notes there and so then he sticks with that same theme you know da da that, that little riff i guess you can call it mm-hmm. and then we we go back to that main theme bum 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 and now the violins start arpeggiating and so they're they're um, arpeggiating on like D major chords and and uh, and and G minor sixth chords and it's just really cool. And of course we have the sleigh bells throughout this entire thing, <laughs> so
1: because <laughs> it's Christmas. Because
0: it's Christmas, and that's how you do it. And uh, eventually we get into the the synths, the celesta, and the uh, the violins, and they start just on that riff that that little i guess we'll call it riff a you know it's just yeah we'll, we'll just call that riff that's a. a good idea yeah so they start doing that we get the low brass uh finishing up their their main theme and then it just kind of ends in a swell which segs and that main title into jingle bells and then that's where we get into the uh the attack on on santa's sleigh or, or the terrorist attack right santa's uh workshop i guess so Uh, It's a seamless modulation. You don't even realize it's happening. All of a sudden we're in a new key. And then again, we transition seamlessly into jingle bells. And that's one of the things that I always thought Danny Elfman did phenomenally. Um, Stravinsky was terrible at some of this stuff. And, and uh, I mean, he said himself, he was very, just very much in like chunks. So he would like compose in this piece and then he'd compose this next piece. And then he'd figure out a way to put them together uh Danny Elfman it seems like he just seamlessly flows from one to the other and and he does Very so, much so. In, in, in a way that you just you don't even realize all of a sudden oh we're in a new key now um, I, I I found in this score he doesn't really use one what is his uh typical styling and chord progression where he goes um from like the minor one to like a, a secondary dominant so what that means let's say mm-hmm. and again I'm just going to use the key of um I'll use the key of a minor because again, no sharps, no flats. So the key of a, a minor, the, the one chord, because we're in that key is, is a minor. The five chord would be mm-hmm. E now a secondary dominant. It's as if you're, it's kind of like you're saying just for this little bit, we're going to shift to the key of E. And so it would be as if you were taking the five of the key of E. So in this case, it would be B or B seven and, and then you would resolve it to the E7, which then would want to resolve to that A minor. So Danny Elfman, he was very famous, especially in the Batman score for going from that A minor to that secondary dominant, that B, but then he wouldn't resolve it to that, to the E, he would just stick on that. And that became what's known as like the Batman chord. So uh, I was, I was listening or trying to listen for it, any instances of it in this particular score. And it doesn't seem like he, he really did it, even though he's used it in quite a few other scores of his. So this was like pre Batman score, pre, I guess, typical, you know, Elfman. And so uh, we just get some, a lot of just one to five and and I kind of like that. I think it kind of sets him apart or this score in particular, apart from some of his other scores. So it's just, that's
1: it, interesting I like I like that you've picked up on that how again it's it's that idea of the precursor it's this it's this right. opportunity for him to to kind of build to what will become elfman sound that's just kind of consistent all the way through and and maybe Batman is oh I mean it, it has to be it has to be hugely influential on on a career when you have something right. in that size and scope I mean I was I was looking at the the budgets trying to figure out um, what we were talking about earlier if if kind of the scrooge is more of a step up a step up for him in comparison to beetlejuice which it is i mean even budgetary for for the 80s i mean going up probably about 18 million bucks in budget <laughs> it indicates that this is this is an advance for you like you are definitely yes. going up the ladder and richard donner is taking a chance on you so it's it's interesting that he's doing things like different things but it isn't until that next step takes that he kind of hits the the elfman sound and it can it consistently goes goes through
0: hmm yeah. And, and it, I mean, there's a lot of Elfmanisms, don't get me wrong, but that's like, oh, his, of course, that's like his standard, you know, he uses that in, in a lot of his scores. So mm. uh, now knowing that it didn't quite evolve yet, I mean, that's just, it's like, wow, okay, that's cool. And so he's on his way uh, as, as we've been talking about. It's getting there. One of the tracks that I, I particularly was fond of was when we get to Lou, Lou Hayward's visit. So this is a, you know, I guess he would be the Bob. Uh, excuse me, the uh, the Marley, Marley's ghost of of this movie here, and of course Marley's ghost. Uh, you know that whole scene is is spooky and it, it it's unsettling. And so one of one of the things that I noticed was that he had the violins playing in um, in a lot of unusual ways. So it sounds to me like they're doing what's called sul ponticello. So instead of playing where they normally play they play play like really 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 close to the bridge there and so you get almost uh, a more tinny kind of sound and there's different harmonics because they're just they're they're just playing close to that bridge um so he has some doing that he also has some just holding harmonics out and so um Again, it's like just different textures, different sounds that you would normally or than you would normally get. And because of that, it adds to the eeriness because we're not used to hearing that particular sound coming from these instruments so right. uh, in their high registers just playing those harmonics very very you know just way up in in the upper stratosphere of notes uh as well as playing really close to the bridge it just it adds to the spookiness and lou hayward when he comes to visit you know it it's supposed to be just jarring and unsettling and so i i like that he sets the mood in that way and and of course uh you know composers have done that for years but Uh, this is one of those that i I didn't expect danny elfman to do now i haven't gone and really studied any of his earlier stuff but this is the one that i noticed and and i don't know if it's just because i love the movie more than (laughs) than i love some other ones or what but i I, it really stood out to me especially
1: really cool now i i like that he's he's playing he plays with Everything, it seems he's kind of throwing everything at the wall. And of course, with with this idea of, of playing off the classic Christmas carol, like idea and story. I mean, when you have the appearance of the Marley character, I mean, it is supposed to be dramatic and different and really unique. And I like right. that he's he's even adjusting the way that the the players are playing the instruments, like it, just get them to do something uncomfortable, to do something. I'm sure it's it's normal for, for them because they can just uh, just work their instruments so extremely well and and with complete ease. But for the listener, yeah, if you can pick that out, like just to, to hear, like, I think it's this, and I think this is what he's going for, then I think it's, it's successfully achieved. Like there's an awkwardness and there's an uncomfortableness and something new to it that I think is really interesting that, that of course, with what what I respect about Elfman is that he does stuff that's outside of the norm and again it kind of harkens back to the earlier we're not getting this with the John Williams score I think Williams is going to do something a lot more classic when it comes to all right the the figure has appeared that is going to set set Bill Murray on this pathway let's do something that really is kind of classic to this idea of this mysterious figure. And and now the hero's journey begins or the, the redemption journey begins at this point. I think he would just go back to the well of, well, I've, I have this from my 30 years of composing experience and Elfman, like he has to develop it. He has to make it new and he has to make it his own because he's probably bored of just the same old, same old. So that's interesting that you've picked up on that.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's creepy. And, and so it just, you know, it, Anytime you can throw in something like that, and I'm a huge like 20th century, I, I guess I don't want to say classical music because that's not, not technically the term, but a huge 20th century music buff. So mm-hmm. I, I love the Stravinsky's. I love the Bella Bar talks, I I even love um, you know uh, Penderecki's uh, Trinity for the Victims of uh, Hiroshima. I mean that you know stuff like that. That avant garde is is really cool to me because I mean yeah I love don't get me wrong. I'll play a blues song all day long, you know, but at the same t- at the same time, there's something really interesting about uh, you know Jimmy Page grabbing a violin and you know playing his guitar instead. Uh, mm-hmm. so uh, I, I really love time they can kind of make something their own like that. and so especially knowing that that uh, that that these guys use it for sound effects, so like in the coma, let's uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie coma. It, with Michael Douglas, it's, I think, no. from mid-70s, maybe late-70s.
1: Oh, no, I haven't.
0: It's not a great movie. It's, it's okay. Okay. But the score <laughs> is phenomenal. It's Jerry Goldsmith. And so he kind of does something similar where he, he uses prepared piano. So there's, there's no brass. It's literally just strings and prepared piano. And so the piano is like the percussion in that. Uh, and and he, I think paper clips were like on some of them. I think he put like weights on some of the other strings. And so it changes the sound of the piano. And so Danny Elfman kind of cool. took this technique uh, as well and just made it much more eerie. When you throw in like synthesized sounds as well, it just, it, it mm-hmm. adds layer upon layer. And so I, I love that he did that. Uh, for this particular thing, I, I mean, I could I could talk about you know this forever. So of course, but, but this is a podcast, and so we need to we do need to move on a little bit. I I want to mention Karen Karen. There I go again. Uh, Karen Allen's <laughs> theme. uh At least I did not say Marion this time. I, I want to mention Claire's true. theme. So that one I love the disconnect between Frank and her. So the way that Frank's was was scored you know he it was the low brass so everything low register you know bum real heavy and ominous and then we get claire's theme which is in the upper registers and it's just piano and synth just nice and light and of course a little bit of celesta and glockenspiel again really calling back not only right. christmas but just that lighter tone that much more airy exactly eth- ethereal tone <laughs> And that's kind of really what yep. she is in this. She's like like his angel, basically.
1: Oh, yeah. he's She's the redeemer. I mean, in the mm-hmm. classic sort of story of A Christmas Carol, it is hinged around like when he goes into Ghost of Christmas Past, he sees this past love and this loss. And it's this idea of, that's kind of the the beginning of it. Yes, the the Tiny Tim classic sort of I, I don't want this kid to die thing comes comes in at a later point, but the right. the real sort of starting point for this for Scrooge to start sort of adhering to it is this idea of his past love and this great sort of love that he has lost. And I mean, you can't get any better than Karen Allen in the the late 80s being that that angelic figure that that love interest like the the point of interest for a bill murray character so i think elfman really hits it right with the tone he Mm -hmm. completely scraps what like the like you were talking about the lower registers and the the booming brass and and kind of goes for something completely outside of what we're hearing Mm -hmm. throughout the rest of this film. And I mean, music and the, the way that music is utilized in movies is extremely intentional. And I think this is unbelievably just hitting you over the head. Like this is the character like is that is going to be the saving grace. Like, you know, the story, you know, this, so let's associate Karen Allen with this character and hit you in the face with it, not only with the visual of Karen Allen up there, like there's Marion, like we've, we've seen this, we've seen her for, for some time and and, in many great movies, but here's also this theme that we're going to hit you with. And it's going to be like, it's going to raise your spirits and it's going to lift your heart and your heart's going to kind of race a little bit more knowing exactly what this theme is trying to tell you that, that she is associated with.
0: Yeah. And it's just, it's such a nice contrast because Mm -hmm. everything up to this point was, like I mentioned, spooky and eerie or um, within the cab driver, when he was, you know, uh, driving him to the past, we get a lot of that, that kind of, as I mentioned, that oompa kind of sound where you have the low, Mm -hmm. the low brass on like the downbeats and then you have the upper brass or or woodwinds um, or strings even on that upbeat you know almost syncopated but you know that kind of thing which is again yep. really characteristic we heard it in in Wee's uh, big adventure we heard it in beetlejuice that's like you know one of his go-to kind of things uh, and so even though we get that we also, it just, it breaks it up, I guess is the better way to say it. It just, this um, Claire's theme just kind of breaks up that, that real heaviness. And so I like it because we kind of see where Frank is going to go later on. And we see that theme reprised, like when he, um, after his big speech, you know, he gives a big speech and he kind of finally is like, you know, and then, you know, the, the little boy says, God bless us, everyone you know, uh, we, we hear the theme again when, when, uh, you know, she's like the whole Claire, the whole world, the whole world, Claire, that, that bit right there. We also hear, we hear that theme again. And so it just, it's like, wow, this is like the redemption. This is, you know, his fate. And now this is going to be like his theme too. And so I really, I really like that. And there's so much that they do with music. Like Danny Elfman, he's, he's very famous for like, not, not really reading the script. So he prefers to work off like the movie, like the, 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 just the, the rough cut first. getting
1: the cuts and getting like looking at visuals and, right. and going off of what he's seeing.
0: Right. And so he'll pick like a particular scene, like he'll pick of course, an action scene he'll pick uh, also like a tender scene, you know, something more emotional and he'll score those first. And then from there kind of weave it all together. And, but that way he gets his ideas musically. And so right. uh, I, I don't know if that's what happened in this particular film. I mean I know he he's done that on most of his films but it feels like that would have been one of the spots that he would have chosen you know the the big uh, the the big climax of of seeing Claire again and and all that uh at the end. I mean at least I think that's what I would have done for sure.
1: Oh, that's, that's what you pull. I mean, you know, the story, you know, what, what this is based off of where do you go to? You go to when Scrooge is starting to jump back in time or when he's jumping around with these, with these ghosts. And then you go to that, that culmination, the, the whole, all right, he's redeemed. I think if the way that he has done the score, I think absolutely indicates that he's gone to those certain places Found sort of themes, but but found ways that he can completely throw different things at it. I think mm-hmm. with with what you've said, absolutely the 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 theme there at the front, the the theme for for Karen Allen's character, and then I think also what he's doing is the individuals with the three ghosts. And one of my favorite tracks is "Fairy" when we see yes. um, Carol Kane come up, and and I think that's another point <laughs> where he said, "All right, here's here's a place where I can play with traditional." I'm going to take the, the nutcracker suite and I'm going to twist it because, because the way that, that Kane is playing, it is unbelievably twisted. She's not just this ballerina dancing around and I'm going to take you and see how things are now. Like I'm going to smack you in the face. And sometimes I think she even says like sometimes to move forward or to wake up or something, you gotta get, you gotta take like a punch to the face. And yes, she's she hitting them with yeah. toasters. As I mentioned early on, and she's, she's kicking them in the nuts. Like I think, I I love that he could kind of take the visuals of that and really play off it. He can watch Kane and Murray interact and have a lot of fun with it, with this really classic like um, ballet and really sort of tweak on it. So I think what you've said with, with um, the, the main theme there with the low brass, with, with the, the light theme of the angel, like the, the redeeming factor, I think that ties in extremely well with what he was doing with the, um the spirits as well.
0: Yeah. I completely agree with you. <laughs> Sorry. Just laughing about, you know, hitting him with the toaster. Uh, that's always oh, been one of my so favorite good. bits. Yeah. <laughs> it's ever...
1: so good. Just, it just appears out of nowhere and she's like pulls it underneath like a, a a chair or something. It's like a toaster and wham, just uppercuts him with it. (laughs) So good.
0: Yeah. It's definitely one of my favorite bits of the whole film, Uh, especially when I was a kid, Uh, you know, you just, every time, you know, she'd do I know something you don't know. You know, I mean the whole, yeah, everything about it. I loved Carol Kane. She's my favorite ghost. I think she's my favorite version of a ghost of Christmas present, like ever.
1: Just oh, absolutely completely bonkers! Oh, no, she's the wall, she's but... the sc- the scene stealer in that movie. She absolutely yeah. shines out, and I mean it. It makes complete sense because that's just the type of actress she is. Wherever she appears, whether it is in something like Princess Bride, Unbreakable mm-hmm. Kimmy Schmidt, wherever she shows up, she is just chewing the scenery and going for the gusto. She has no qualms about making herself look absolutely ridiculous, mm-hmm. and I mean here she is in a tutu and tights dancing around Bill Murray and like up on point. And, and laughing and giggling and then wham kicks him in the nuts and, and like here you have bill murray like 80s like classic box office draw and you yeah. get to just play complete opposite to him and steal the show from him unbelievable
0: yeah agreed i, I can't say it better myself uh, so i'll just talk about instead instrumentation he uses for the ghost of christmas future Ooh, nice. which uh so again we we see him play with instrumentation that's that's not typical in a in a, a standard orchestra so mm-hmm. harpsichord um during that scene where where claire's in the future you know and and the the scrape them off claire bit you know um we we hear harpsichord which i think at that point i, I mean you hear harpsichord it it just sounds very i don't know stuck up uppity i don't know victorian what the... yeah yeah a I stiff
1: upper lip sort of attitude
0: exactly and so i mean it like fit perfectly but then we get some more just avant-garde sounds and synthesized effects for the uh the cremation scene as well so it's it's right. just, uh, you know i like the way he plays with everything and he I mean he's done the same ever since. So like in Spider-Man, he used trash can lids as percussion instruments just because he wanted to kind of feel, you know, the city of New York. So uh I like when composers do stuff like that because it's so unusual. It's it's just it really draws attention to the the fact that that they're trying to to really make you feel something different and, and pull you in. So like in Planet of the Apes, you know, Jerry, and I know a lot about Jerry Goldsmith because he's actually my favorite film composer, uh, although Danny Offman and John Williams are like really close seconds. But, uh, you know, so like in Planet of the Apes, uh, he he uses uh, just pots and, and and just mixing bowls and he turned them over and and the percussionist was playing those with rubber mallets. And, you know, we hear uh, instruments like the shofar or in alien. He used like a, a conch, a didgeridoo and a serpent to make the sounds of, uh, uh, of the alien. And so he used that in, in the actual music as well. And so that was like characteristic of the alien theme. Well, Danny Elfman does that as well. He uses this harpsichord to kind of represent something different. And again, it's not standard in, in a, in an orchestra. We, that you have to specially hire people for these. And, and it's just a whole different thing. It can't just be someone that knows how to play keyboard because the harpsichord has different, Uh, it's plucked in a different way and so you you have to be able to feel the action on it in a little bit different just like like it's hard to to go from piano to organ same thing it's hard to go from piano to to harpsichord so i i appreciate that he's using this and and trying to say that okay well now claire is is you know the upper class and she she got rid of her ways and yeah but we get elliot loudermilk singing you know Santa Claus is coming to town in like a a minor key. and then Danny Elfman takes it. and, and he plays it as he incorporates mm-hmm. that into a score. Um, uh, so that's one thing that, again, I love is that he's not afraid to to quote other compositions so like in batman with beautiful dreamer or here he, yeah. he does the the hallelujah chorus you know from the messiah mm-hmm. uh and, and as we mentioned tchaikovsky and and in the, the nutcracker as well so he he throws all these in but he just twists them just enough to make it his own you know
1: Mm. Oh, absolutely! I, I to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier with with composers doing different things on different instruments and things that aren't even instruments. One of my favorite composers um, over the last probably twenty years has been Michael Giacchino. So I'm, I go back to lost and he's playing like pieces of airplane to get that sort of creepy sound. And, and again, it's also going back to kind of what you talked about with, with, um, guitarists playing their guitars with bows, as opposed to with picks or their fingers. Like Mm -hmm. it's interesting how you can get creatives to, to just. Look at something that is called an instrument and it's played in one certain way and they can figure out three or four different additional ways that you can play it. And Mm -hmm. I like the way that Elfman does that. And not only like with the instruments and introducing, like you said, with harpsichord coming in and how you have to bring in somebody new. So that's got to cost money, but it's still this vision that he has for this certain section of the movie. Like it needs to be different it needs to be played different and let's play some different things differently. And let's play things that we've known forever completely differently as well. So yeah, I've liked the, the complete adjustment there and, and making sure that he's taking familiar and like you said, twisting it and really sort of getting people to, to shift the, the way that they think about things because of like the familiarity being turned on its head. Like I'm going to play a trumpet but i'm going to play it differently or i'm going to hit like this guitar with hammers or i'm going to take tchaikovsky and it's going to be really messed up to your ear so this is <laughs> definitely a different experience that i'm putting you through
0: well and speaking of trumpet we get uh, cameos by miles davis in this yeah it's like miles davis david sanborn paul schaefer i mean these are like big names in jazz
1: <laughs> just as street performers Though, what they're <laughs> what they're doing with with that, like the, not only the orchestrated, but the stuff that they incorporate from like licensed music is unbelievable. And then you bring mm-hmm. in the players themselves, like just these legends. There's, <laughs> there's so many different cameos throughout this movie that are just amazing. And yeah. and to have like, um, uh, Paul Schaefer just show up randomly, and there's Miles <laughs> Davis, and and there's I think is it Robert Goulet? Is Robert Goulet something? Robert in Goulet's there? in it, yeah. yeah it's it's just, old, these are Cajun these are Christmas. people that I love this movie just because it is so odd and so weird in that way, and and not only musically but just um visually as well.
0: Yeah, it, <laughs> sorry, Bob, Bob Goulet's old fashioned caging Christmas. Uh, well, of course, I, it's just, just hilarious. But yeah, you're right. So uh, as well as the other source cues besides them, we have um, in the IBC Scrooge promo, we actually have um, an Elmer Bernstein arrangement of Joy to the World, and so it it was written for something else and then not used, and so they they just reused it for the for that Scrooge promo because it oh, needed to cool. sound a little bit different, you know, than, than typical Elfman. So I, I kind of liked that. Mm-hmm. I also liked how he took Jingle Bells and he arranged it uh for muzak and so we hear that in the elevator as well uh, mm-hmm. just just some phenomenal things that he does and of course as we mentioned we get uh the string quartet when they're in that uh that restaurant playing uh some mozart uh, one of mozart's string quartets uh anyway so they they utilize all this to build the atmosphere and of course Elf, elfman ties it all together um but i did want to briefly touch on the soundtrack so this is one that um i'm not like super familiar with but i i remember um when i first was trying to look for the score to this and i really had a lot of trouble finding it now you can actually purchase the score because they've they've remastered it it's it's but for a long time you could only get it on like bootlegs right because i i used to teach a class on uh, film music you know, and, and film scoring. So this was a, I, I would try to find as many scores as I could to actually play for these, uh, for these kids. And all I could ever really find was the soundtrack. And mm-hmm. at the time it was like, it, it wasn't what I wanted to do at all. So it was like, okay, well, I won't get it. So I'm, I'm not as familiar with it, but you know, the song that I think is probably the, the title song, you know, that most people remember when they think of Scrooge is probably that Put put a little love in your heart.
1: Absolutely. You got the Reverend there He's preaching for us. <laughs>
0: That's right. In this case, it's Al Green singing with Annie Lennox.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I don't think I ever knew so it was Annie Lennox singing with him. I, I was like, wow, Al Green sounds different here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is an odd take of this song.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They they like just trade you know trade uh, verses there, and so. Uh, but again, I thought that was phenomenal, and then we have just different. Songs that some of them I'd heard, some of them I never heard. Like, we get a cover by a gospel choir of The Sweetest Thing by You Two.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, again, something I wasn't familiar with at all. Do we have, of course, The We Three Kings by uh, Miles Davis? That's included on the yep. soundtrack album. We get Buster dexter which is David Johansson, you know, the, the cab driver goes to Christmas Past. He's singing Brown Eyed mm-hmm. Girl. Again, Yep. (laughs) Something weird. (laughs) I don't even remember them playing that in the movie. I think it's just uh, one of those. Hey, you want to write a song for the album? Yeah. Okay.
1: (laughs) We could, we could potentially throw it in somewhere. Let's, let's throw some more money at you. Keep you involved in the process. Maybe we'll use it, but it'll fill out our soundtrack for sure.
0: That's right. And then uh, the soundtrack closes with uh, Natalie Cole's rendition of a Christmas song by Mel Torme that uh, her father famously covered. Of course it's just it's kind of an all over the place album but it i don't know it works and i think because a lot of it is is just so quintessentially 80s in its arrangements and yes. intr- instrumentation like there's again lots of synths uh the the drums have like just ridiculous amounts of reverb on the snare you know Gosh! you kind of they hit the snare and you
1: get that that kind of
0: Gosh! sound you know
1: yep it's like classic electric drum sound that's
0: that's right <laughs> exactly Uh, so 80s but i think it works you know just because of that that kind of is like the glue that ties it all together yeah
1: it, it fits in with everything else that we've been talking about. There's this idea of being a bit odd and a bit quirky with the music. Right. And you have these sort of classic staples that, like you said, are very edified. Like, let's throw them into the 80s and let's <laughs> let's pull in these artists who are going to do some some th- synth stuff with it. Or we're going to take 80s stuff and we're going to kind of cover it classically with the choir right. doing Sweetest Thing. Like, there's definitely some, some tweaks and some versions and some things kind of going on that are continuing to subvert the, the viewers ears as they go right. through the experience, not only with the score being as quirky and odd as it is, but let's pair it up with some licensed music that you think is going to be pretty normal. But nope, we're going to turn it on and head again. The only thing I'm surprised
0: about on the soundtrack album is that there's no Oingo Boingo song on it.
1: Again, to the Oingo Boingo. I mean, (laughs) sorry, it's just one of those things. Like there's only so much Oingo and only so much Boingo that we can take.
0: That's true.
1: (laughs) Might have been a bit too weird for this. Maybe that just would have pushed it a little bit. This is the perfect balance. Maybe just adding that extra song would have just kind of tipped the scales, maybe more in one favor than the other.
0: It, it feels like this is the the perfect movie, though, for Dead Man's Party to like, you know, just just plop that right on the album. That and you're you're done. You know, that's fair. Just add. Some, I can I can add some sleigh bells. I can appreciate
1: the that. Sh- oh, <laughs> like, there you go. You see, maybe that was what it was needed. Everything needs sleigh bells it, it just as like all a, somewhere in a subtle track, <laughs> and then you play it backwards, and we kind of understand it a little bit more. That's right. Eighties.
0: <laughs> that's exactly right. Yeah.
1: Um, just wrap it up perfect eighties let's let's just end the decade now
0: exactly and and uh and that's a perfect seg to you know it, it i i have to ask what would you say would be your hap hap happiest memory or moment with uh scrooged and danny elfman's score
1: it is absolutely by far listening to the twisted version of the nutcracker come up as literally carol Kane is cracking nuts with bill murray it is so delightful it was it, i mean the movie had built up so well to that point and that was yep. just it is so scene stealing and so wonderful and again it's that twist of i'm so classically trained in listening to to these songs in, in a certain way like i know the nutcracker i, I mean right. everybody knows the nutcracker play a game of tetris you know the nutcracker but, <laughs>
0: yeah exactly yeah
1: <laughs> but here it is again with this with this this composer that I've been listening to for decades at this point. And I'm going back to one of his earlier stuff and seeing kind of the origins of him taking and twisting and turning. And I really, I think that's absolutely by far the best. It's not only the best scene in the movie, but I think it's the best sort of take on, on a classic song that is twisted and kind of alpha into, into this movie.
0: And you know what, that actually is is mine as well. I I mean, I do have memories of, of, just my mom throwing out like a blanket on the floor and us just kind Mm -hmm. of laying out and, and watching the film you know on christmas but i think as far as like the best moment of the movie i mean it really is that's like the the pinnacle of the um of his adaptation style you know his ability to incorporate various themes that even if someone else wrote it i mean we see it in like justice league which as terrible as that Frankenstein of a movie was, you know, I he incorporated John Williams' theme into it. He incorporated um, Hans Zimmer's Wonder Woman three theme along with his own theme to Batman and kind of weaved it all together into you know a score for this you know ridiculous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I really wanted to like it, but I mean, whatever. That's a whole nother topic we won't get into. But uh, you know, it's it's like you see that and and you see him, or I guess you hear him, I should say, just play this 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 classic in such a way that it makes you wonder, do I, do I actually really know this? Maybe I don't know it as well as I think, is this, is this a part of it? You know, mm-hmm. is this a different section that we never hear, but no, it's just him playing with it to subvert your expectations so that you actually get, you know, some sort of mystery and, and just wait, you know, that just turn it on its head in such a way that, you know, it just makes you just uneasy. And so I like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know?
1: oh yeah no it's it's great it's nice to be kind of taken on a little bit of a journey from the familiar every once in a while which again kind of harkens back to our our idea that williams could not have done this in the same way that elfman did
0: right exactly so i you know i i appreciate everything that he's done for this uh for this movie really because it it really has something special that don't think anybody i'm not you know what? and i love jerry goldsmith i don't even think he would have done as great a job as as danny elfman did just Mm -hmm. uh, marrying those two elements together um but you know we do come now to my favorite part of the show which is a little segment i like to call gag me with the spoon so this is where we do our (laughs) our best impression of our least favorite part of the score just kind of set up what it is you're going to do for us here. And we'll, we'll see where we go from there.
1: I will freely admit that. I think the, the part I have the hardest time with is, is the children's choir just because I think it, it, it completely gets out there. And so for me, it is the like, it's just all over the place. Like just, just all right, play it once. It's fine. It's good at the beginning. All right, get me into some more twists and turns later on here.
0: That's that's so funny because that's actually one of mine as well. <laughs> that's you that's see? what I was what We're I was going to use. Here. It it's it works perfectly in the beginning where it kind of like sets it mm-hmm. up as an ostinato. And but the part that I don't like it's when they're at the restaurant and he keeps mm. seeing the the different visions. You know the the eyeball in the glass. We you know yeah. the guy on fire, all that. And every time he have it, he's having one of these visions, we get. <laughs> we get the choir that's just coming in la 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 part. la la yeah. la just and it's like just a yeah. little tiny bit and you're just like well no no stop just don't do that <laughs> like come on man mm-hmm. so that was that is mine as oh, well i'm with you yeah completely all right agreed. there
1: we are where i'm, I'm <laughs> glad i'm not alone in this i thought i might be just because it is so iconic and it is when right. you think about that movie I because it is up top a all lot right. of people just have that sort of surface level uh understanding of the score and so they think well the first thing that i hear that is what i'm going to adhere to this movie right it's like the star wars theme is kind of what people think when it comes to star wars when there's right. so many other tracks and and hits within that that entire franchise not only just a single movie i think Mm -hmm. scrooge is associated classically with that that children's choir and i think there's so much else within there as we've talked about for the last hour that i think is really a lot more in depth so that's why that that section has always been sort of the weakest for me
0: yeah and and i think for me it's just it's not quite stravinsky because stravinsky you know like I, i mentioned earlier he he never really finishes his melodies mm-hmm. but uh he does it in a way that you you don't notice he doesn't finish his melodies whereas this right. it seems like it's just truncated you know just la, 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 and then like yeah. it just stops so abruptly that it's again it, it just it, it doesn't feel right so i i completely agree i think he could have done something a little bit better there but at the same time you know it's classic now. So, okay. It still uh, works. I mean, it, right. it, it yeah. is
1: what it is. It, it was very appropriate. I think it works for, for the idea of a holiday movie. It works right. for the eighties. It works for, for the score to be up front. Maybe right. like it, it just, like you said, leave it there. The rest yeah. of it, there's so much else that you could do with it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I, I do have to ask though, GI Joe taught us that knowing is half the battle. What do you think the other half is?
1: Oh, the other half is absolutely do not mess with Carol Kane. <laughs> That's, if G.I. Joe is going to tell us anything that is going to preserve <laughs> us more than like fire safety and don't talk to strangers and, and be mindful of your Halloween candy, it is absolutely do not mess with Carol Kane yeah. dressed up like a ballerina holding a toaster. <laughs> that's, that's, that's definitely great
0: advice. Yeah. Yeah. So everybody follow that advice because that's so good. Please um, do. I, <laughs> that's better than mine. I just thought if uh, knowing is half the battle, the other half is just modulating seamlessly.
1: Oh. Ah, there you go. <laughs> you tied it. You tied it back. I, I, I was going more for the violence, not so much the the Elfman score.
0: <laughs> it's it's all good. I, they're both good answers, but I think yours is better. Um, Don, it's been it's been fun chatting with you. Well, uh, but you don't. Uh, I, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: It's been a blast. well thank you oh no no i just want to say it's been a blast
0: (laughs) well well uh, um, tell me about your show then you know i mean like like what do you want to plug
1: Sure. Um, so myself and my buddies, Anthony and Jason, we host a podcast called Even the Score. And we talk about soundtracks and scores for movies, TV shows, and video games. And we kind of have been doing some really fun stuff with genre study for our second season. We actually just hit our one year anniversary and we literally just recorded an episode earlier today about kind of out with the old and with the new. Let's take a look at 2021. Let's take a look at 2022 and then jump back into our genre studies where we had kind of come out with looking at things like spy thrillers and horror and we we've, we've just been doing a lot of really fun stuff there and and we definitely go more into the personal and the, the life stories and kind of our experiences rather than the 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 more sort of technical side of, of music which none of us understand the way that you do um, but we have a really good time with it we we like chatting we we have we we think that we have pretty good production quality but uh but yeah we just mm-hmm. enjoy getting together as we we kind of talk today all of us have different experiences and perspectives and uh we just have a kind of a blast getting together so if you wanted to uh give us a listen definitely find even the score podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts
0: right on and uh social media
1: social media is at even even the score pod uh on twitter and instagram
0: right on yeah definitely check them out there um they're what they're calling master classes. Their their studies, essentially genre studies, that that he's talking about, are mm-hmm. phenomenal. I love the horror one, the video game one, like I mentioned earlier. Again, very very good. Um, I'm excited to to keep listening and see what else you guys cover. And. If you ever well, want to talk I can about say something, the same I, for you, I, I promise I won't be uh, as technical <laughs> if if if, uh, if I'm ever invited on. But uh, anytime you need someone to talk anything, oh, music, by, by all means, definitely down for it. So,
1: yeah, for sure. Like, let's let's get into it. We'll find some some good Carol Kane material outside of Scrooge and we'll, <laughs> we'll get into it. But uh, but yeah, it'll be a, a good chat for sure.
0: Right on. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm down for it. Uh, or I'm there for it I guess as the kids say I don't know what they say I'm whatever <laughs> who knows what the kids are I'm, saying these I'm days from the 80s. we're talking about an 80s movie that's and right. loving it that's right <laughs> and on that note let me just say one more time thank you so much I had a lot of fun and I'll end it by saying think of your fellow man lend him a helping hand put a little love in your heart and check us out on our social media pages, Facebook and Instagram at totally rad Christmas and Twitter at rad Christmas. And if you're feeling like Danny Elfman composing the score to a Dickens classic, leave us a review on iTunes. Not only does it help us reach more people, but you also get a free sticker. Now don't forget to check out our merch shop on tpublic.com and our brand new website, courtesy of Tis podcast elf, Tom Crow. Later dudes.
1: The Christmas Alphabet Podcast is all about Christmas in alphabetical order. I'm Wayne, your host, and I bring you a new episode every two weeks throughout the year. Each time we look at Christmas history, food, music and fun facts, starting with just one letter of the alphabet. Join me as we follow the alphabet all through the year, all about Christmas. Subscribe and join us at the Christmas Alphabet Podcast.